Welcome to the Money Hour with Tina Mitchell. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. The views expressed by the speakers on the following program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome to the Money Hour at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, May 27th show, Memorial Day weekend. And a special thanks to those that have fought for our country and are still fighting on our behalf. I am your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. My goal is to keep you up to date on latest news and trends in our local economy. Keep me tuned in and I will keep you informed. If you're listening or hearing my show at a different time or day, you're listening to a rebroadcast, but I'm here to answer any questions that you have or connect you with the guests that I have on the show today. Please call the show at one 8 855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyhour.com. And my lineup for today's show, Sandy Tampa with Windermere Bellevue South selling in a seller's market. Also in studio, Mark Petticord with Success Mentor Systems. Is franchising a good fit for you? We'll discuss that with Mark today. Also, my last guest in studio, Andy Lannis, national known author, speaker, and my go-to guy in everything, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. We're going to be talking to my younger listeners, younger workers, Social Security does matter. Great information and great guests in studio. For more information on any topics discussed, please call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's one 1- 855-411-50 or on the moneyhour.com and today's money chat money money There's a lot of things to discuss in the real estate market and the environment that we're in right now. One thing that's kind of common is just uh, appraisal. So I just wanted to take uh, time today for Money Chat to go over some appraisal facts, uh, common questions that you may have regarding appraisal if you're purchasing a home. So will the homeowner receive a copy of the appraisal? Yes. The Equal Credit Opportunity Act, ECOA, requires creditors to automatically send a free copy of the home appraisal, you're actually paying for the appraisal, but you're not paying for the actual copy of it, and all other written valuations on the property after they are completed, regardless of whether credit is extended, denied, incompleted, or withdrawn. Uh, What kind of information can you as an agent provide to the appraiser? This is a really big one, a shout out for any of the real estate uh, uh, agents that are listening right now, really putting together an appraisal package in advance of have it available for the appraiser at the property. The package could include plats, surveys, deeds, um, conveyance. HOA documents, floor plans, specifications, uh, inspection reports, neighborhood detail, recent similar quality um, um, comparables, detailed lists and dates of upgrades, remodels and cost, uh, energy efficient or green features. Meet the appraiser at the property if you can and answer any questions that the appraiser may have about the property or in the neighborhood and allow the appraiser the necessary space and time to complete the inspection. The appraisers are really busy right now. There's a lot going on and there's a lot more work that they have to do. So as a real estate uh, professional, you're going through all of this work preparing for your buyer anyway. So just passing on that nice package that you've already put together is really going to be helpful in that appraiser's opinion of the value of that property. 
can I speak with the appraiser? Yes, regulations allow real estate agents or other persons with interest in the real estate tra- transaction to talk with the appraiser. Lenders are not supposed to talk with the appraiser. Everything is going through third-party um, uh, verification or third-party and verifying uh, and ordering that appraisal. So the lenders are not, but the agents can. So if there's any concern with values or thing, value, value or things that come up um, as a buyer paying for the appraisal, you can talk uh, with the appraiser as well. So that is allowed. Uh, who do I talk to if I feel that the appraiser val- appraisal value is inaccurate in any way? Once an appraisal assignment is completed and sent to the appraiser, uh, client, typically the lender and, and the appraiser may not discuss, as I mentioned before, about the report, but the client can, um, and they can also order a um, review of that appraisal. If there's additional comps that can be provided, maybe for some reason uh, the appraiser did not pick up on those comps, they weren't a pri- provided for the appraiser, uh, then you can go through that process. I would not go through the process and extend if you don't have comparables, because you've got to have other comparables that are going to support why you feel that the appraiser's opinion opinion was uh, not accurate. Why does a lender give the appraisal appraiser a copy of the sales contract? Uh, the government-sponsored enterprises, GES, require that an appraiser analyze the sales contract, and the appraiser must confirm, analyze the contract of the appraisal report. The appraisal appraiser looks at the terms in the sales contract and compares them with the typical market. Now, the sales contract has information such as interest rate, down payment, seller contributions, uh, other personal property items that might be included in the sale, and the appraiser must also verify if the property property seller is the owner of public record. Now, something to be cautious about if there's any renegotiation because of the inspection uh, uh, process that comes up. We're not seeing that a lot in this market because inspections are getting done ahead of time, but it's important that that gets taken care of before the appraisal is ordered because that can affect the value with the uh, price on the contract being different. I also get questions a lot, um, not in, as much in this market because there's more of a challenge in supporting the value with properties increasing so quickly and not enough properties for those comparables. But in some markets, when the market shifts, Uh, Why does the appraisal, if the appraiser comes in like $5 over the sales contract price, when you know that the property is worth more than that? The reason why is because the appraiser is there to support the contract support the price that's already been agreed upon. So you have two expert real estate agents. You have a buyer and a seller that are agreeing to pay on those terms. So the appraiser is not trying to support anything above what is on the actual contract. So that is why, even if the property is worth more, the appraiser is there to support the experts and the agreed value on the purchase contract. Why do appraisers sometimes take assessments if they live outside of the market area? Well, you hope that your lender is not working with appraisers that are ordering appraisals that are outside of the area, because that can cause a lot of challenges. But appraisers are required to be competent in the geographic area where they are working. Some appraisers would work in cities and, and counties beyond their residence, but are knowledgeable about those specific areas. If you suspect, suspect that the appraiser is not competent in the appraisal appraise in that area, you may contact the lender who is the appraiser's client. And does a buyer's choice of financing impact the appraisal process? This is an interesting one. And yes, it can. It can affect, well, obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, you may not know, but it does affect the type of appraisal, whether you're doing conventional, FHA, VA, there are different terms or different requirements for each type of loan type. But also the type of loan that you are going with can actually affect the value that the appraiser supports. Really interesting. And I heard this from a lead appraiser uh, that's in our market that went into a women's council of realtor 
uh, event where we had him come in and speak. And it was interesting to hear um, in, in this market what's happening with that. If you're going with a lower down payment loan or uh, a program that's for lower down payment and you're competing against uh, buyers that are doing larger down payments, and you're paying more in that pro- that price than what the other offers are coming in at, and that value can't be supported by comparables, it will affect the appraiser's peti- opinion because he's feeling, or he or she, that you may be forced to pay more than the market price for the home because you're competing with buyers that have larger down payments and loan programs that are more favorable to the process. So uh, interesting, uh, all of the dynamics that go into an appraiser and the opinion on that home. How long does the appraisal take? Um, Turn times really depends on the actual lender. On an average, you're seeing maybe a couple weeks. You just want to get that appraisal ordered as quickly as possible. Uh, Get your credit card information. It's going to be charged as soon as the appraisal has been completed and get that process uh, started. If you're working with a lender that's taking more than two weeks on an average for an appraisal, I would suggest that you um, call in and work with another lender because that process has been... um, accommodated a little bit better for the market and the environment that we're in. Uh, How can you know more about the appraisal process? Talk with the lender. Or you can go to the Appraiser Foundation's Guide to Under Understanding a Residential Appraiser at Realtor.org forward slash appraisal. The appraiser develops an independent, impartial, and objective opinion on the value of the property. The appraised value may not always support the sales price of the home. This means that the appraiser's opinion is the buyer is paying more than the market warrants. So what do you do? You've got the options. The seller can lower the price. Not going to happen in this market. Uh, buyer agrees to pay the difference. Is it, That is, if you don't have contingencies in protecting that, you are going to pay the difference or you're going to lose your earnest money. Both parties uh, walk away from the contract is the other option. And why or who orders the appraisal? The appraisal is ordered by the lender. So it's required the appraiser orders it. Every appraiser has a management company, which is the appraisal um, orders go through that management company, and then the appraisers are randomly chosen within a pool of appraisers. Uh, that's my money chat. And coming up next in the money hour, are you a seller and today's seller market. I have Sandy Tampa with Windermere Bellevue South right here at 1150 AM KKNW after the short break. Do you feel like you are overpaying for your insurance? Not sure if your coverages will protect you in the event of an accident? Mason Mackey with Pacific Northwest Insurance helps families like yours find the right insurance coverage at the best possible price. Mason has helped hundreds save money on their insurance needs while offering a superior level of service. Hi, this is Mason with Pacific Northwest Insurance. To learn more about my practice, call me at 425-828-7877 or reach me online at pnorthwest.com. Again, that's 425-828-7877 or online at pnorthwest.com. You bought it, but do you know how it works? We're talking Social Security, the biggest mystery in your financial blueprint. Now, move from mystery to mastery with the new book, Social Security, The Inside Story. Author Andy Landis has helped thousands of people just like you master Social Security. Hi, this is Andy Landis. You can learn more at my website. Go to www.andylandis.biz. That's andylandis.biz. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. 
Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, May 27th show, Memorial Day weekend. I'm committed to providing you knowledge needed to be successful in every area regarding your finances. Knowledge is power, and that's what you'll receive from listening to the show. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but you can always call the show at one 855 411 or online at themoneyhour.com. Ask any questions for the guests that I have in studio. Right now, I have Sandy Tampa with Windermere Bell. View South, and we're having a conversation on selling in a seller's market. Sandy, thank you so much for joining me back in studio. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Love coming here. And a little bit about Sandy. Sandy, a skilled veteran with 12 years of residential real estate experience. She is based out of Bellevue and primary focuses on the east side. Sandy is a highly accredited managing broker. Her credentials include accredited buyer's representative, certified residential specialist, and master certified negotiation expert. What does this all mean? It means that she is dedicated to being the best she can be to serve you and your referrals with the highest level of professionalism and skill possible. Sandy specializes in applying her local expertise and market knowledge to her business, experience negotiation, and cutting-edge marketing strategies combined with uncompromising integrity is the trademark of Sandy's service. Sandy has worked with every facet of industry representative sellers, buyers, and investors. So Sandy, excited to talk with you, especially in this market right now, what we have going on. And a topic for discussion is selling in a seller's market. So I have a lot of listeners asking me if it's still a seller's market. Yes, absolutely. Still a seller's market. Um, King County ended April with 0.9 months of inventory. Anything less than three months of inventory is a seller's market. So less than one month of inventory is a crazy strong seller's market. And here on the east side, we've actually been less than two months of inventory since 2014. So this is nothing new. But continuing to be a strong seller's market. Yeah, so basically, if you know, less than a month inventory basically means if, if in a month, if nobody else lists their home, we are literally out of properties. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit of a nonsensical number, but it's uh-huh. how we get our pulse. So what that number says, if no other houses are listed, how long would it take if people continue to buy at the same rate they do now, how Got long it. would it take to deplete the inventory? Yeah, that's crazy. So uh, since it's such a strong seller's market, what a listener uh, might be thinking, getting ready to sell their home, possibly for sale by owner, not using a real estate agent, thinking it's going to sell in a day, what would be your advice to that listener? Well, yeah, I mean, I get asked that all the time. Like, can I, what skills needed? And I can just put a sign in my yard and it'll sell in a day. And frankly, that probably is true that, but are you getting the best terms? Are you getting the best price? And then what happens if it doesn't, if it doesn't sell right away? Um, On the east side, 80% of the homes sold in less than 15 days. So that leaves 20% of the homes that didn't sell in 15 days. Mm-hmm. And so will the lack of pref- your like lack of preparation and professional represent- representation cost you? It's going to cost you time and money. So for instance, using some more stats from the east side, homes that sold on average for 6 days they were on the market on average six days. They sold for about 9% over asking price. Well, wow. Then homes that averaged at a, about eight days on the market right at asking price, which is great. Uh-huh. No problem. But when you start, when that, when that time on market averages about 30 days, they're now 3% less than their asking price. Yeah. So that delta between six days and 30 days is 12%. Uh-huh. So 
on the east side, average medium price last month was eight hundred and eighty thousand. So that's a hundred thousand dollars that they they basically left on the table from kind of missing that opportunity to be well prepared, come on the market right, showcase it, create that frenzy. Yeah, and that's it's crazy. I'm I think there's a lot more education because in uh, the last market that we had that was crazy, I had tons of for sale by owner contracts come over, and I haven't seen a lot of them, which is good. Um, people are seeing the value and understanding. Also, just putting together um, the strategy of the price, which you were talking about, as well as getting through all of those offers and and knowing what the best offer is to take because it is not always about the highest price. So, Sandy is. Um, home prep really that important? Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, you know, it's going to vary. The importance, the level of importance is going to vary by neighborhood and by price. Um, In the hottest neighborhoods, you should still take time to deep clean, declutter, and stage. And sometimes when I say stage, I mean more like edit, where you can work with the seller's decor and just bring in art and accessories. Um, but you don't need to update your home to sell. Sometimes okay. I think HGTV has um, created this culture of thinking, oh, I have to get new granite countertops and that and that sort of thing. Frankly, I think a better investment, if you can spend a couple thousand dollars and stage the home beautifully, uh-huh. that's going to usurp any kind of updates that you do to a home. Typically, it just depends on the house. But yeah. staging and that's, off- it, that's another thing, too, with your real estate expert is really coaching you on exactly what you need to do. Because because you're in the market, you see what's happening, you know the trends, you know what buyers are wanting, and whether or not it's necessary to spend those additional dollars, as you'd mentioned. Yes, it's a great, it's it's an investment. Yes. And what I'm going to quote one of my favorite stagers. She says, staging invokes the emotion of home. It attracts buyers on an emotional level, allowing them to be connected with the house. And then when the house is when the house is vacant, uh-huh. um, staging is even that much more critical. I um, I like to joke around, but I'm serious. Well, I say that no one looks good naked, right? And <laughs> that is very true. And the same is true of a house. Yes. You know, if you we all look our best when we're re- wearing an outfit that fits us beautifully, good point. And we're well accessorized. Yes. And the same is true of a house. And we just want to help help create that emotion and show that the home is wonderful. Yeah. A vacant home with brand new countertops. It's just not going to have the same effect. Yeah, and I think it's it's important, too, when um, maximizing that price because it really isn't about necessarily getting the offer, but it's getting the best offer and having that frenzy built up because your house is such an emotional, has an emotional connection to so many buyers. So, uh, Sandy, um, when you're working with your sellers and they're staging uh, their home, or do they need to move out of the house? How are you coaching around that? Or can they stay? Yeah, they can absolutely stay. So okay. when you stay, it's a little, it's it's a painful process because, you know, it's your home and yes. people are coming in and messing with your stuff. And mm-hmm. what we want is ideally we're going to have you declutter, depersonalize, and basically kind of ch- change typically your art and accessories. Mm-hmm. And so we have you bring all the stuff out of your house and then we bring more stuff in, which can be a little befuddling. People are like, yeah. just move stuff out. So typically throw pillows, art. And then accessories in the kitchen just go a long way. So we ideally we can use the furniture that someone someone has, assuming it's not too big or too small. Both yes. make a room not feel right. Makes sense. So uh, what is the recommendation that you have, Sandy, when it comes to photos? Ah, uh, yes. 
don't skip on photos. Yeah. You can, all the staging in the world with bad photos, it's, though it's opportunity for buyers. If buyers, if you see bad photos, you know, maybe take a better look. But great photos are critical to building that frenzy. I loved how you used mm-hmm. that word frenzy. And, um, because buying psychological, so you want to create that frenzy, uh-huh. and if you can create that excitement at the beginning, buyers are more apt to act out of fear of loss than fear of gain. Yes, and people want what other people don't want. So it's that frenzy, that's that critical piece that you're trying to build, and you've only got one chance to make that first impression. Yes. Um, so with professional photography, my favorite type of photography is something called multiple exposure and then using a wide angle lens. And what the multiple exposure does is the photographer uses a tripod and takes multiple exposures, uh-huh. just like it sounds, and then layers them on top of each other. And so what that does is it would allow you to see the detail of a counter as well as like the view out the window all in one photo. Wow. And, and it also makes it crisp and light and yummy. And then the wide angle lens, and I'm not talking about a fish angle, but a wide angle will allow you to capture the entire room. Uh-huh. And what are you seeing with uh, virtual tours? Um, do you find that that is uh, necessary? Does it work for all homes or? Fantastic question. You know, so there's videos, there are virtual tours, there's the Matterport that does the 3D, you have drones yes. and all of that. And that's like a whole nother talk all in of itself. Um, those are all, I think it depends on the house, but the foundation is to have those really great pictures. Got it. Yeah, so really talking with your agent and find out again exactly what you need to do and what you don't have to do to show well. Um, so, Sandy, I've heard that you've, I heard you mention uh, before sellers providing pre inspections. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So I strongly recommend that a seller do a pre, do an inspection on their own home. And they okay. would do an inspection as if they were going to buy the home, ideally four to six weeks prior to listing. Reason being, so you have some time to maybe adjust ad- address something that might uh-huh. have come up. And then you also don't want the report to be too old. Um, sometimes sellers take pause and say, well, what if the inspector finds something? Mm-hmm. Well, the inspector is not going to make something appear that something that issue is there already. And so do you want to find out about it while you're in control of the process or while the buyer's in control of the process? Makes total sense. And then um, with the inspection, so the purpose of an inspection is to find out what's wrong with the house, Uh not what's right with the house. Yes. So it's a pretty, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's a hard look at the house. But it's okay because buyers are experienced and buyers have looked at these inspection reports uh-huh. and they're usually appreciative of it. I do recommend if there are any leaks, health and safety issues, or rodents to fix those issues, just as if most buyers would want to fix anyway. Of course. Yes. Nobody yeah. wants to live in a leaky, rat-infested house. Yes. And if you get those done up front, you're going to get more dollar when you take care of it up front rather than waiting until the end of the process. Exactly. When you can proactively address a problem, it's so much better than reactively and uh-huh. freaky. Buyers are so fragile. I mean, there's so much art to this. You know, it, selling seems so easy and selling is fun, uh-huh. but it takes, it's an art and it's a science and you've got to, these buyers are fragile and you yes. really, my, what I, my whole process and what I recommend is to provide clarity to buyers. Yes. When buyers have clarity, they make buying decisions. So not only do you get a fantastic price, mm-hmm. you get more offers and you get those terms. You mentioned appraisal. Let's yeah. pre-negotiate appraisal so yes. we know what we're dealing with. That price is not necessarily a real price if we can't get the appraisal and the buyer can't handle it, can't yes. cover it. Makes sense. So let's talk about the pre-inspections that the buyers are getting. Yeah, so that's pushback I get too is that, well, won't a buyer do a pre-inspection? Why uh-huh. Why do I as a seller have to, if my buyer will do it? You know, and it's a, it, 
what happens is if a buyer does a pre-inspection, a couple things happen. Is one, first of all, if another buyer hears about it, they might go, "Oh, I can't compete. I can't uh-huh. get my I can't get my inspector out there. I'm not paying for another inspection." I feel yes. like I've put my inspectors kids through college at this point. <laughs> but um, or then the buyers are going to frenzy and get get a pre-inspection too. Then suddenly uh-huh. you've got three inspectors calling all over the house and inspections hard on the house. Yes, It's, it's going to not show as well with those inspectors in the house. Everyone's on edge. So what you're going to do by providing a pre-inspection and stopping that is people are just going to look at the home and, and be armed with information. Then there is the phenomena of buyers just waiving inspection yes. without doing a pre-inspection. Yeah. So you can roll those dice thinking and see what. hopefully that happens. I, I don't want to fear monger, but I think that is grounds for potential lawsuits you know if you find that leak in the in the attic the the buyer could say you knew about it and maybe they didn't but yes. had there been an inspection involved the, if the inspector didn't catch it so yeah makes... and, and again we saw what the numbers look like if you miss that window of opportunity then your your sales price is going to be lower then you're going to be dealing with a buyer inspection contingency which yes. gives the buyers all the control makes sense i got less than a minute but i have to ask this question i want to circle back around to selling in one day um, yes. why is that a bad thing well it just kills me when i when i hear you know in every situation's <laughs> different you know sometimes there's there's a time and place for everything but when um, you know i hear people i sold it in a couple of hours and i'm like oh you left money on the table uh-huh. because if you can control the market time which means listen on wednesday or thursday Look at offers on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Mm-hmm. You allow market exposure for buyers. I've seen time and time again a buyer comes in really strong with an offer, and you know you politely turn them down. You know you set expectations. We're not going to do this. You're very kind to that buyer. They come back and they come back even higher, and yeah, you get a better offer. Sense. Great advice, Sandy. Thank you so much for coming back in studio. Look forward to, of course, having you back again. Thank you. Coming up next on the Money Hour is franchising a good fit for you. I have Mark. Petticord with Success Mentor Systems right here at 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. Have you ever considered investing in a franchise? Oftentimes when people hear the term franchising, the first thing that comes to mind is hamburgers and sub sandwiches. Not anymore. There are literally hundreds of franchise concepts to choose from. But with so many choices, finding that dream business can be an overwhelming task. But you're not alone. Why not seek the services of a certified franchise broker? Mark Petticord, your trusted advisor, knows franchising like the back of his hand. And with his finger on the pulse, he will identify the right business concepts for you. This is not a random hit or miss discovery process. Mark will use a science-based, market-validated, franchise-specific entrepreneurial profiling system. Go to FranchiseBusinessInsider.com and download your free franchise business report. And for a limited time, access your free science-based entrepreneurial assessment, a $99 value. That's FranchiseBusinessInsider.com. Hey, this is Mark Petticord with Success Mentor Systems. If you'd like to get a hold of me, just call me at 206-915-2649 or visit FranchiseBusinessInsider.com. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. 
Well, welcome back to the Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, May 27th show. I provide news on everything money, fresh information on market trends and conditions in our local economy. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. Uh, you can call the show for any questions or to talk with the guests that I have in studio, one 855 Again, that's one 855 411 or online at the Right now in studio, I have Mark Petticord with Success Mentor Systems, and we're going to talk about a franchising might be a good fit for you. Mark, thank you for coming back in studio. Thanks for having me. And a little bit about Mark. Uh, Mark is owner of Success Mentor Systems, where he teaches, trains, and coaches on leadership and business development. As a franchise broker and business development professional, Mark provides his service and qualified clients desiring to get started in their own business. As your consultant and advocate, he will help you hone in and focus and discover exactly what you need in a business investment and help you compare several franchise concepts. I have to say, Mark, uh, that you're the first one in studio that I've had on this, which is always nice. Uh, The Money Hour is about making money, um, having a better quality of life, and enjoying what you do for business and how you make your money definitely helps to have a better quality of life. So I'm interested for our conversation. Again, we're going to be talking about uh, franchising and whether it's a good fit for you. So um, when I think of franchising, I think of McDonald's or Subway, and I know there's a lot more. So What's happening in the franchise industry? Well, Tina, it, it, I think of that too. I mean, everybody thinks of Colonel Sanders or you know yeah. Subway, or, and it's hard to get into yeah. McDonald's. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> but there are literally thousands of franchise concepts now. It's mm-hmm. become quite popular, and there's hundreds of emerging brands coming out each year. Uh, everything from ATMs, vending education, products, tutoring, food, of course, food services. Most people think that's all that franchising is, but Uh staffing, real estate, property management, automotive. I mean, the list goes on. It's just, there's just a huge amount of uh, opportunity out there for people who want to go into business for themselves, Uh uh, but work from uh, a proven system. And that's one of the big advantages of uh, of franchising. So kind of like when you go to a a recruiter to place you in the best um, employment opportunity that you're looking for, you can go to somebody like you if you're thinking of getting into franchising. So let's, let's talk about what is a franchise broker? Yeah, it's a lot like a real estate agent in, okay. in a sense. Uh-huh. A real estate agent has an MLS listing and there's there's thousands of homes. And I mean, think of what you would have to go through as a buyer to go find the perfect home. Yes. I mean, some people think they can do that, but really it's it's more effective to use uh, a, a person who's who has a relationship with the seller, with, with the buyer, and, and mm-hmm. can find the best deal for you. And the same thing with a franchise broker. We, we work with several concepts. business. We call them business concepts. And so I have relationships with a lot of companies, and so I try to find the right candidates for them. But I'm also that candidate's advocate. I'm really on their side to try yes. to help them find the best deal, because if you approach a franchise directly, they're going to sell you their franchise. Of course, they're going to qualify you, so uh-huh. it's going to be... But uh, it just gives... Uh, a candidate, a lot more options, and we have systems and processes in place to help them determine what's the what's the right business for them. Makes sense. So we just talked about the importance of why you would use a real estate agent, regardless of the fact that we're in this you know crazy market. Um, so same thing, and you know why would you not go directly to the franchise versus hiring uh, an expert like yourself? 
yes, and some people do that, and there's nothing wrong with it. But I think if you're really uncertain of what you want, or maybe you don't have a clue of what's out there, some uh-huh. people approach me and they'll say, well, I just wanted to get into some food service. And I think, well, did you know there's a lot of different options? Why don't we determine what a better fit or something that might work better with your lifestyle? Or Yes. You know? So there's a lot of opportunities out there, a lot of options. So what about the cost? If I was thinking of being a franchise owner and I went to a franchise broker, how much would I pay you? Well, the beauty of what we do, and and like a realtor, the uh, commission is paid by the seller. Uh Uh-huh. and so same thing with this in a, a franchisor, there's franchisees, the people that are looking for businesses yes. and they're the franchisors and they're the people that have the business concepts. And, and so they'll pay me a commission to find them a candidate for their business. And there's still a process that they have to take my candidates through. They don't just accept everybody. It's uh, you know, it's of gotta course. be a win-win situation. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So we have some great tools that we uh, give people access to and, and in order to find that right, that perfect franchise, actually, I have a free report that you can start with. It's at FranchiseBusinessInsider.com. Okay. It's a 32-page guide, and that's a good place to start. But we also, what I'm doing is, uh, for this special audience out here, I'm providing a really, really effective tool. And uh, it's basically a business builder profile. It's not a personality test. It's a scientific uh, profiling system that we've come up with. It takes about 15 to 30 minutes to complete. But this, we've had over 85,000 franchise, franchisees go through this program for this, this particular profiling system over the last 20 years. And it's extremely active. And it, what it does is it predicts business success. It helps people determine what kind of business would match, best match them. So what we do, there's no hit or miss you know, a uh, thing going on here. Uh-huh. It's it's very scientific. It's very measured. We have systems and processes to really help that person determine their entrepreneurial acumen, their profile, what they what they could expect in a business, what business would match them. Because a lot of our franchisers use the same profile. Love it. And so they're looking for that perfect candidate. So how do my listeners get to that? It's www.franchisebusinessinsider.com. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I've, um, uh, we all know we have strengths and weaknesses and we have areas that um, are better fit and suited for us. So that is, um, that sounds like a great way to start out. So Mark, what kind of investment do you need to make to get into a franchise? Well, typically it, it's, um, it's based on the type of franchise, obviously. Yes. You know, there, we have brick and mortars that are going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh-huh. Of course, we have SBA loans, and you can even use your 401k. There's, there's ways to do that. I have I work with a team of people that can do financing and so forth. Uh, smaller franchises, you know, cost a lot less. We, we're looking for people, you know, that have a 700-plus credit rating. Kay. Typically, that's what's going to be, uh, you know, accepted. Uh, we, we're looking for people on the smaller concepts to have at least $50,000 liquid. And so that's really important. And uh-huh. so, so uh, you know, it, it's going to be all across the board. And that's a discussion that we have when we determine what it is that they're looking for. Of course. For. Makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So does the franchise uh, drive much business through advertising? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and again, that depends on the 
the concept and the brand. If it's mm-hmm. got brand name recognition, like for instance, Fast Science, they're pretty well known printing franchise. And so they do national advertising, they do television ads and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, other franchises that are smaller may not, but we always encourage people to have about a two to 3% advertising budget. And so they usually put together programs to help you do that. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the best part of owning a franchise, Mark? Well, I think I'm visualizing exactly what the the benefits are, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I think you would as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I think you, people are looking for a record of success. They want to see something that's proven. It's you know, as an artist or as a writer, as you know, uh, it's very difficult to start with a blank sheet of paper. Yes, <laughs> you know, it's very difficult. It's a challenge, and so you look for strong brands. Uh, uh, training programs, ongoing operational support, marketing assistance, uh, assistance with real estate, just helping people find properties and things sure. to put their businesses in, uh, purchasing power, bulk discounts, and all the things that come. And of course, uh, one of the big ones is just avoiding risk. You know, people yeah. don't want to risk a lot, and it, of course, there's a risk in everything. Well, of course, and the bigger the bigger you go, mm-hmm. the bigger risk that there is. Yeah. That's uh, that's life. Yeah. So those are some of the benefits of of, of owning a franchise, having those yeah. those type of. So I know you've got the um, what you offer to our listeners to go through and find out what type of uh, franchise would best suit you based on the business and your strengths and weaknesses. But how do you know if you're actually would be good to be a franchise owner? Well, again, that's that's part of what we do in terms of the assessment. Uh huh. Now we take you through. You're going to get educated on franchises. For, most people don't really understand all the variables and all the dynamics, and so that's my job is to help you to learn that. But then taking you through that uh, business builder profile, mm-hmm. that's really going to determine what it is that you, uh, what you're looking for, help you match, uh, help match you with the best business yeah. possible. So for new franchise owners, what is the most common right now, Mark, that you see? Is there where a majority are getting into the, the food service or there really isn't a, a common? No, I mean, it's all across the board. Uh, uh-huh. it, there's just so many options. Uh, uh, most people think that food is kind of where to go, but it's, uh, there's just so many options and ideas and concepts out there. So it would be hard to say which is most popular right now. So if somebody's listening and it triggers a little bit of interest, uh, what would be the next step that they would take? Well, we have a four-step process. Again, uh, this is very scientific. We we take you through the process. And if you're willing to do the work, if you're willing to make a commitment to that process. Well, I hope you are. If you want to be a franchise owner, you better be willing to do a little bit of work. Well, and most (laughs) people, they just think you lay down the money. But we're going to save you time. We're going to save you money. And we're going to get you the best uh, possible business that fits you. And we do that through pre-screening. First of all, you're going to read the insider's guide. You're going to uh-huh. take the profile test. We're going to uh, we're going to have a detailed franchise intake form to really get to know you and what you want. And based on your profile and assessment, we're going to do a follow-up call and we're going to talk about some concepts that, that we think match you pretty well and you can agree or disagree and we'll go back to the drawing board or whatever we need to do. Then there's discovery. What I do is I actually coordinate calls, three-way calls with the franchisers and, wow. and help you talk with so them. It's kind of like shopping for a home. I, You're going in and looking yeah. at these different or talking with the different in, uh, opportunities. That's right. And yeah. I hold huh. your hand all the way through the process. So you're not alone. You have me. And, and of course, once you find a great franchiser, they're going to hold your hand. They're going to take really good care of you and mm-hmm. they're going to make sure that you succeed. And then the launch, you get started, we get your financing in order. And that, at that mm-hmm. point, I, I point you in the right directions. I'm kind of out of sure. the picture and you're more into the franchiser's like hands. Like a real estate agent, point you to yeah. their lender. But I'm, 
I'm there. I'm a business coach too. And, yes. and yeah. uh, you know, I help people overcome their obstacles and fears and all the things that we do as coaches. So, yeah. so it's, it's a real great combination of having, being a broker and, and being able to coach people and help people. So we've already mentioned the cost is, is there's, is no cost because the, um, uh, the franchise that you're uh, purchasing is going to pay your services. Is there any, um, minimum requirement for them to get the opportunity to sit down and go through this whole process just to explore whether or not, or there, there is no financial commitment? Well, what I look for is I just want to make sure that they have some sort of the investment. Resources. You know, if they yeah. want to go out and buy a, you know, a McDonald's, of course, I wouldn't represent a McDonald's. They don't use franchise brokers, but yeah. Uh, when it's they almost ha- impossible to get in a franchise yeah. McDonald's, yeah. very difficult. <laughs> they just have to have the funding, and so I always say, you know, hundred to fifty to a hundred thousand dollars of liquidity. Yep. Okay. Uh, really, just to so I know they're a serious candidate. Makes sense, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming back in studio. It was a, a great, new, interesting topic, and um, look forward to uh, bringing you back in. Thank you, Tina. And coming up next on the Money Hour, a shout-out for all my younger workers, Social Security. It does matter. Andy Lannis, national known author, speaker, and my go-to guy on everything, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Right here at 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. Have you ever considered investing in a franchise? Oftentimes when people hear the term franchising, the first thing that comes to mind is hamburgers and sub sandwiches. Not anymore. There are literally hundreds of franchise concepts to choose from. But with so many choices, finding that dream business can be an overwhelming task. But you're not alone. Why not seek the services of a certified franchise broker? Mark Petticord, your trusted advisor, knows franchising like the back of his hand. And with his finger on the pulse, he will identify the right business concepts for you. This is not a random hit or miss discovery process. Mark will use a science-based, market-validated, franchise-specific entrepreneurial profiling system. Go to FranchiseBusinessInsider.com and download your free franchise business report. And for a limited time, access your free science-based entrepreneurial assessment, a $99 value. That's FranchiseBusinessInsider.com. Hey, this is Mark Petticord with Success Mentor Systems. If you'd like to get a hold of me, just call me at 206-915-2649 or visit FranchiseBusinessInsider.com. You bought it, but do you know how it works? We're talking Social Security, the biggest mystery in your financial blueprint. Now, move from mystery to mastery with the new book, Social Security, The Inside Story. Author Andy Landis has helped thousands of people just like you master Social Security. Hi, this is Andy Landis. You can learn more at my website. Go to www.andylandis.biz. That's andylandis.biz. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, May 27th show and Memorial Day weekend, bringing in expert advice and inside knowledge on today's events in our local economy and how they will 
can affect your money. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. You can call the show at 1-855-411-50 or go online to themoneyhour.com, discuss anything regarding money or talk with the guests that I have in studio today. Right now in studio, Andy Landis, national known author, speaker, and my go-to guy on everything, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Younger workers and Social Security does matter. Andy, thank you so much for coming back in studio. Thank you, Tina. Great to be here. And our topic today? Social Security checkup time for younger workers. So if you're young, you definitely want to stay tuned in and listen to my conversation. You'll be surprised. You will yeah. be surprised. And a little bit about Andy. Andy Lennis is one of the nationally foremost authorities on Social Security and Medicaid. As a nationally known author, speaker, and consultant, Andy is an author of the best-selling book, Social Security, The Inside Story, called the Social Security Bible and available on Amazon. He is a regular blogger for Wall Street Journal, Market Watch site. Uh, he's appeared on TV, Fox Business News, and PBS, and is a frequent guest on radio, including my show, The Money Hour. Andy's background includes working at the Social Security Administration, AARP, Boeing, and his own practice, Thinking Retirement. Andy lives in Seattle with Kay and Cody, his dog. So Andy, what does a typical Xer or Millennium think when they look at their pay stub? Well, first, you're probably really happy to have a job and a pay stub, which That's is pretty true. cool. You might want to frame that thing. But then you start looking at the deductions and you go, hey, where'd all my money go? Especially when you see that big FICA deduction, Tina. Mm-hmm. And so what do the younger's worker think about when you're uh, talking with younger people? What are they thinking about Social Security? Well, mostly they don't at all. I mean, I didn't when yeah. I was that age, right? <laughs> uh, if they do think about it, they're thinking, what a waste. Give mm-hmm. me back my money. I'll do better with it. And, of course, the famous, it's not going to be there for me. So... Uh, You hear that all the time from younger workers. So, Andy, are these generations unique in their attitude? Is something new happening here or? Just the opposite. Man, I've been around Social Security for 39 years, which I'm starting to realize is over a third of a century. And I've watched generation after generation go through this same pattern. Mm -hmm. And it goes something like this, all the way back to when I was a boomer. In your 20s and 30s, you hate the Social Security because they're taking money out of your paycheck. And in your 40s and 50s, you start to get a little curious about it. Maybe you hear somebody that's getting Social Security or you look at what your parents are going through. And then in your 60s, it's like you flip over and it's like, this is a totally vital vital program and I can't retire without it. So, Mm -hmm. And one more note, that that last reaction really hits home for younger people if they face something horrible like disability or death. Then, Then it's like it's a really vital program. So how do you answer the question... What's in it for me? The WIFM. The WIFM question. Uh, I think of Social Security as paycheck insurance. You pay your premium with your payroll deductions, and then that buys you a complete package of worker benefits like you'd expect from a big employer. Retirement benefits, disability, life, health insurance. And then if your paycheck stops for one of three reasons, retirement, disability, or death, heaven forbid, that's when Social Security pays you back. And that package, that package of retirement, disability, life, and health is the foundation of everything you do financially. Mm -hmm. Everything else is built on top of that. So, Andy, why should people care? Well, it sounds remote when you're a younger worker, but I've worked with thousands of young people where disaster does strike 
And then the Social Security becomes absolutely the most mm-hmm. important thing in their life because stuff happens. You never know when you're going to need it. In fact, Social Security says if you take 100 workers at age 21 and you track them all the way through their career up to retirement age, over those years, 30 of them will be disabled and 20 of them will die. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So a lot of all of that, all of the disability and survivor benefits are aimed at younger workers. If something Mm -hmm. happens to a younger person, we're not talking about retirement. Yeah. We're talking about stuff that happens to you during your career. So I hate to bring it up, but just imagine the worst. Suppose something happens to you. What if you're sick and you can't get to work for a year or more? Um, how are you going to pay your bills? Or if you have kids, heaven forbid, but how are they going to get by if you're sick or injured or you pass away? So I've talked to, like I said, thousands of people in exactly those situations in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s. And I can tell you, Social Security really works to take away some of the pain yeah. when those horrible things happen. I would say prepare for the worst, just focus on the best. I agree, absolutely. So let's talk about the cost and how good of a deal this is. Well, if you include the Social Security and Medicare together, it's 7.65% of your paycheck. Okay. Uh, with a match from your employer, which you, who, who gets a 100% match on their employee benefits? Yes. That's crazy. So for the average worker, that's about 3300 bucks. Sounds like a lot. Plus a match from the employer. But if you just look at the retirement benefit alone, mm-hmm. let's say you're retirement age and you have a non-working spouse, you'd have to save 750000 bucks to match what Social Security is going to pay that couple. Wow. That's, it's a stretch. I mean, yeah. it's, that's pretty cool. But that doesn't even count the disability life and health insurance that you're also buying. So I'd say you're definitely getting your money's worth when you look at the whole package. Um, It's an awesome insurance deal. Um, I've worked in a private benefits department, and I've talked to a lot of insurance people, and I don't think there's any way that you could duplicate that same package in the private sector. Agreed. So, Andy, a lot of younger people are asking, is Social Security going to be around? Aren't they going to be broke? How do you answer that question? Yeah, I remember that thing a few years ago where young people thought they were more likely to see a UFO than a Social Security check. <laughs> I missed that one. Uh, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. So it's a lot better than that. It's a lot better than what you've heard from the general media. For one thing, Social Security is still running a surplus. It was $23 billion last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're still running in the black. And they can pay all the benefits that are due through 2034, which sounds pretty far away, but it's really not. Mm -hmm. So if Congress does nothing between now and then, which is possible, (laughs) then there would be an automatic 21% cut in Social Security. It wouldn't go away. It would just be cut. So if you look at a worst case scenario, 21%, it's not that bad is what people think. Yeah. It's not like there's not going to be anything there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the challenge for younger workers right now is how are you going to fill that 21% gap? Uh-huh. How much are they willing to pay in taxes or cut from benefits to fill the gap? And the question comes down to what do you want Social Security to do for your generation going forward? Yeah. Every generation has had to answer that question um, all the way back to the 1930s. You know, what do we want it to do? Yeah. And, and they've modified it for each generation. So that's the challenge coming up. So, Andy, how is Social Security different from other worker benefits, especially when we're talking about retirement plans? Really different. For one thing, only about 50% of jobs have any retirement plan, including 401ks and that kind of thing. Um, Pensions are pretty much gone. Um, Savings plans like 401ks and 403bs haven't really panned out. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, they're complicated. There's too many things that can go wrong, like people don't save enough, which is classic. They invest poorly or the market goes south, no fault of theirs. Investing rules means sometimes you can't take that 401k money with you to the next job. Yeah. Uh, so by contrast, Social Security is totally simple. It's all automatic. Um, it's totally portable to 95% of jobs in the U.S., and it generates something that's totally understandable, a monthly check for the rest of your life. So it's just so much simpler than your typical uh, worker package from an employer. So, Andy, on what we've talked about so far, can you summarize this for my listeners? Yeah, probably one key thing I said was that Social Security is the foundation of everything else you do. It doesn't yeah. matter whether you're doing estate planning, life insurance, disability planning, any of that starts off with your Social Security so obviously, if this is your money, you owe it to yourself and your family to learn what it can do and what you can do to build on that foundation, working with people like your guests. There you go. Andy, anything new happening uh, with Social Security that you uh, want to share with my listeners? No, probably it goes back to the same old message that we all need to look at our Social Security records at mm-hmm. ssa.gov slash account. Set up your own account just like you do at a bank or an investment house and make sure you know what it's doing for you. So that's uh, ssa.gov slash my account. Okay. Andy, what about some, some myths out there uh, that we can clear up for listeners? What's the, what's the biggest myth that you hear? Biggest one, especially for people approaching retirement, mm-hmm. is Social Security is based on your last five or ten years. You hear ten years all the time. Social okay. Security is based on my best ten years. It's not. It's based on your best 35 years. Mm-hmm. And younger workers need to know that because it's based on your average income throughout your career. So taking a few years off, not a big deal. Taking 20 years off and then reentering the workforce, uh-huh. there's no way you're going to get a full high Social Security payment. So that's very common. It's not based on 10 years. It's based on 35 years of work. Um, let's see another big myth. And you always said, you know, talk about really preparing and planning on when you're actually going to start drawing from Social Security because there's some pretty hefty, substantial uh, financial yes. implications if you if you draw too early or you're not strategizing on when to do that. If you take, you can take the retirement payment as early as 62, mm-hmm. and in fact, that's the most common filing date uh-huh. is age 62. That's where you get the least Social Security over your lifetime. All you got to live all you got to do is live to average life expectancy or more and you'll get much more money by waiting till 66 or 70. So uh, basically take it early you're betting you're going to die early. Yeah. Now I understand if you need the money, you need sure. the money. Absolutely. Uh, but if you can delay it with a little bit of part-time work or something, mm-hmm. you know, draw from your savings a little bit, uh you're going to come out money ahead. So do some planning around that. Makes sense. Yeah. So what about a biggest mistake um, that you can help my listeners avoid? couple ideas. One is taking it too early, like we just said. Yes. Uh, one is not planning ahead by not getting your Social Security statement at okay. ssa.gov slash my account. Um, and, you know, this is going to sound screwy, but especially for younger workers, I hear about this all the time. Oh, my husband died three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have kids. I never knew we could get Social Security. Yeah. And now you've kissed away three years of benefits. Wow. Tens of thousands of dollars. So don't ignore it. If you know anybody that goes through a major disability 
or heaven forbid, a death in the family, mm-hmm. especially if there's kids involved, send them to Social Security and see if there's some money there. Yeah. I hate to hear, you know, families come in years later and, you know, they can go back six months. That's it. Yeah. So. Not not a lot of time to recover a mistake um, oh, and yeah. a missed opportunity. Yeah. So, Andy, as I wrap up my time here with you, um, I'd like you to, to uh, call to action for your book. Can you tell them uh, what it is and where to pick it up at? Again, the book is Social Security, The Inside Story. And it's called the Bible of Social Security. It's not as hard to read as the Bible. Um, (laughs) Basically, a full guided tour through the entire Social Security system, whether you're facing a disability in your family, a regular retirement payment, whatever it might be. Uh, And it's best place to get it is Amazon. They have a real good price on it. So Social Security, The Inside Story by Andy Landis. Wonderful. Andy, thank you again so much for uh, joining me in studio. Appreciate your wealth of information. Thank you, Tina. Great to be here. This is your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, signing off for the day and wishing you an enjoyable Memorial Day weekend. Thank you to those that serve and keep our country safe. I look forward to talking money with you next Saturday, same time, same place, right here on 1150 AM KKNW. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. The views expressed by the speakers on the preceding program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. 